بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. Welcome back to Fiqh Fridays, where we are covering Qaddumi's Elementary Hanbali Primer by Al-Allama Musa ibn Isa Al-Qaddumi al-Nabulsi, one of the scholars of the Hanbali school that lived before the First World War and was an appointee of the Ottoman government to teach in his area and was known for his piety and uh, teaching ability. And he was actually the main uh, teacher in Jamat Nablus uh, and had done much of his studies in Damascus and other places. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about his bio. So my name is Joe Bradford. And this is Fiqh Fridays. Today, we're going to go over the second point of Qadumi's elementary primer. And he asks a question. He says, question number two, what are the categories of water? The answer, water is three categories. The first is purifying. The second is pure. And the third is nejis. Now, his discussion of this issue is about uh, two and a half pages. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to not go into the technical analysis of every word, as we mentioned last time, but I'm going to give you the gist about uh, these categories. Now, why did the scholars talk about the categories of water in the first place? Some will say water is only two types, pure and nidges. Others will say that it is pure, purifying, or purifying, pure, and nejis. Others uh, go, go up to five different categories for water. And this is um, an issue which many people, when they start reading the books of fiqh, delve so deep into, and they can't crack that they give up. Imagine that. You know, believe it or not, they give up on studying fiqh because this issue gets so deep. And in fact, it is a very, very good case study of how religious texts and empirical science and practical issues are all brought into play when determining the validity of an act such as purifying a person, a place, or a thing for its use in devotional or mundane issues. So, why do they say that there are three categories of water? Well, those let's let's just let's just talk about what the author says. We'll talk about why they said there are three categories of water. Okay, so think about it like this: you've got a you know you got a, a mind map in your mind because we're talking audio here. I can't draw anything for you in the board. In your mind, you have to make wudu. You need to purify yourself ritually. Now, go and find something. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Uh, mentions in the Quran uh, that he has sent down water to, to, to purify you. believe when you are when you stand for prayer, then wash. And then he talks about the limbs of wudu. We'll actually cover that verse later. So the idea here is we need water. We need something to wash ourselves with. What is that thing that we wash ourselves with? Water. Okay. Now, what, is all water allowed to use or not? The same question came up to the Sahaba, radiallahu ta'ala anhum. In the hadith of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, 
It's narrated in the uh, the the Sunan and in the Sahih that he said a people came to the Prophet والسلام, They said, Ya Rasulullah, Inna narkabul bahr, wa inna wa nahmilu ma'an al qalila min al ma'. فَإِنْ شَرِبْنَاهُ or, or, or often فَإِنْ تَوَضَّأْنَا بِهِ عَطَشْنَا هَلْ نَتَوَضَّأُ بِمَاءِ الْبَحْرِ O Messenger of Allah, we're people of the sea. We traverse the sea. We, uh, we carry with us a little bit of water. If we make wudu with it, we'll go thirsty. So, can we use water from the sea. Can we use seawater, salt water? So what was the Prophet ﷺ reply? He said, And in this, uh, this hadith has been narrated in many different ways with the story either being expanded or summarized, but almost universally the Prophet's answer is always narrated the same. It is pure or it it is it, it is that which is water is pure and its dead is permissible. Meaning that you don't have to do dhabh, dhabiha to a fish. Okay? Um, now they only asked about water. So he said, its water is tahur. It is pure, purifying. And its dead, its carrion, is permissible. Meaning that you don't have to slaughter it. Why did he talk about the dead that after that, well, for two reasons. Number one, this is what they call in the balagha, in the science uh, or in the discipline of literary rhetoric and rhetorical syntax, and however they translate balagha into English, they call this al jawab al hakim. This is the wise answer that when someone asks you about one thing, you answer them with something which is related to it that they're probably going to ask about besides. Just like They ask you about the stations of the moon. Say they are means by which people tell time and for determining hajj. So this is what they call Jawab al-Hakim. Alright, so he said Let's stop here. So we know that we have to use water. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to use seawater. And he described it with being tahur, which is a wazin, it is a, 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 a noun form, which is above and beyond being tahir, being pure, pure. It is something which is purifying, right? Fa'ul, ala wazni fa'ul. It is pure in and of itself, and it purifies other than it. So now, the Prophet ﷺ has established for us that there is a type of water that goes above and beyond simply being pure, but it purifies as well. And that includes both uh, 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 sweet water and salt water. That includes both the water of the ocean, as well as water which is taken from the land. This is why our scholars, they'll say, um, which uh, Al-Qaddumi here, he says, It is water which is found in its original natural state, 
regardless of whether it's poured forth from the sky or sprang forth from the earth. It, pure, it is pure in and of itself, and it purifies other than it. It raises ritual impurity and removes actual impurity. So if you are, uh, if you are uh, in a state of hadith, if you're in a state of ritual impurity, and you use water to make wudu, then you have lifted that state off of yourself. We talked about that in the last episode. And if you have actual impurity on you, then it removes that actual impurity. So if you wash, for example, some feces got on your hand or some blood and you washed it off with water, that is now, it is now purifying, a substance which is purifying. So here, let's go back to that hadith. The Prophet ﷺ, why are we talking about three categories? Because the Prophet ﷺ established after their question, what? That salt water, sea water, was pure and purifying. Which means that they themselves, the Sahaba عنهم, themselves, understood that there are liquids which may be pure but are not purifying. Which is why they asked. Why wouldn't they ask? If it was, if it was uh, a, a given to them, they wouldn't have to ask the question. They would have just used the umum, the generalities of the texts. But because this was different than the brackish or the sweet water that they found from their wells and their springs and their rivers, because salt had been added to it, then they wanted to determine whether the addition of that pure thing changed the nature of that pure thing from pure and purifying to just pure. Right Now, this is a whole other issue that comes up. What if you artificially add, add salt to water? What if you add chlorine? What if you add, can you use pool water as a modern issue? Regardless. Um, the Sahaba understood that there was something pure and not purifying, therefore they asked about seawater. And this shows that there are three categories of water, that which is pure and purifying, that which is pure but does not purify, and that which is najis. So the second type, al-tahir. The madhab says, هُوَ مَا تَغَيَّرَ كَثِيرٌ مِنْ لَوْنِهِ أَوْ طَعْمِهِ it is what water which has much of has changed in color, taste, or smell by mixing with a pure substance like saffron. So think about it this way. Anytime you have an attribution to the water, orange water, saffron water, rose water, this is not water which can be used for wudu. Why? Because the addition of that thing Right, which is not naturally occurring, occurring, and changes the object of that water from being simply water to being something that's uh, that is attributed to another substance, right? Not a place, but another substance. Then it is pure, but not purifying. Now, this is for a lot of water. What about a little bit of water? He says. Or it was a small amount of water and then you used it to make wudu. You used it to take away a ritual impurity. And this is an issue which is of particular discussion. It's probably not too popular nowadays because amongst the Hanbali school, the opinions of Sheikh Lassam Taymiyyah have really gained precedence. And so some of the standard opinions of the Hanbali school have actually been forgotten. And this, however, is the standard opinion of the Hanbali school. That if somebody uses water to make wudu, then you cannot use that water again to make wudu. So just as there is a pure 
water which does not purify because something has been added to it. If you were to make wudu, then the spiritual state of that water has changed and therefore it is now only pure but not purifying. You could wash your floor with it. You could add it to your plants, but you cannot make wudu with it. Number three, this is an issue which is specific, again, uh, and due to a hadith, where the entire hand of a legally responsible Muslim is, is submerged into it after having awoke from a night's sleep before washing it three times with intention and the basmala, which is obligatory. There's a lot to unpack there. And I'm actually going to leave it alone. And we can come back to that issue later because there's a lot to pack and unpack in that one sentence. But think of it just like using it for wudu. Whether you use it for wudu, which there are texts specifically for, and there are texts specifically about washing one's hand before placing it into a dish of water in uh, the morning, that if you were to do so, then you now nullify the purifying effect of that water and make it simply pure. Why? Talk about that another time. He says, It is pure in and of itself, yet does not purify other than it. So, it has been uh, negated the adjective of being purifying or the des description of being purifying and it is simply pure. يجوز استعماله في غير رفع حدث وزوال خبث كطبخ وشرب ونحوهما. It is permissible to use in removing other than ritual impurities and actual impurities. So you cannot use it to remove najis on your body. You cannot use it for wudu, but you can use it for cooking, for drinking, and anything else. Now, those who say that water is two categories, they would say, well, rose water, saffron water, we don't even call it water, it's just a liquid. So essentially it's semantics. We're saying the same thing. But those who bring up those texts about, about wudu and putting the hands on the water, they say no, that shows, and also the hadith of Abu Hurairah, shows that there is an understanding that something can be water, but not necessarily like the water that's allowed for wudu and ghusl. Third, he says, impure water. The third type is impure water. It is that which impurities have fallen into while it was a small amount, even if it does not change. So if I have a cup of water and I know that a drop of urine has fallen in that water, according to the madhab, that water is now najis. Why? Because I have yaqeen about the, 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 the occurrence of something najis, of something impure into that water. Now, he then says, water of large amounts, which one of its characteristics have changed, is impure as well. So, we have a lobit, a rule of thumb which is anything, any, any liquid whose color, taste, or smell has changed, then it is, with an impurity, then it is impure. With a pure thing, then it is simply pure, but not purifying. Okay? So if I have a 50-gallon drum of water, okay? If I have a 50-gallon drum of water, and, uh, and a drop of urine falls into it, and I can't smell it, I can't taste it, right? It does no, it affects the color in no way, then it is still pure and purifying. However, if so much urine or so much dung or whatever falls into that water, that the color of the water changes or the smell of the water changes or the taste of the water changes, then it is no longer pure and purifying. It is najis. So why do we say that? Well, we say that because the difference 
there's some there's some adilla that go into this idea of the difference between large amounts and small amounts of water. Now, this dhabit, this rule of thumb, is an issue of ijma that if the taste, color, and smell of something change, then the, impu- the change from pure to impure. This has been narrated as a hadith. However, that hadith is weak, but it is, ex- it, it is one of those things that the meaning of uh, scholars hold consensus on. But the consensus is for what? For large amounts of water, not for small amounts of water. And I believe there's a hadith about uh, from Umar anhu about uh, animals which would come to uh, what they call the masana' and masna, which we now call factory, but it's actually a um, you know a, a pool of water found in a in a mountain or a mountaintop or plateau or oasis. Um, they would come and drink, and if an animal, you know, a tiger or a lion or something like that came, and you're saying, why are you even talking about lions? We're talking about the Raven Peninsula. Yes, lions actually uh, were lions and zebras and wild donkeys and most of what we see on like. National Audubon's, you know, wildlife, you know, safari through Africa. Most of those animals were in the Arabian Peninsula, and it wasn't until over hunting and um, and 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 war and increased populations and the creation of the Suez Canal that the migration patterns of many of those animals were cut off. And so now you only find, you know, you don't find zebras in the Arabian Peninsula. You don't find wild donkeys except in Iraq. Uh, and and as a as an aside, the zebra is different from the wild donkey al himar al wahshi waghir al fanan. The zebra in Arabic is called fanan, um, which now we call like artists, um, and probably most of them aren't artists; they're wild donkeys. But uh, regardless, um, uh, so animals would come to a body of water and drink from one side of it, and then. They people would say, well, can we drink from this? You know, this panther came in the evening and drank from it, and saliva fell into it. We're not allowed to eat panthers, so is it, is it nedges or not? No, it's so large that it didn't change. Right? You can go into the adilla of that later. But uh, he then says, impure water does not remove ritual impurity, and it does not, or actual impurity. And it's a no-brainer then that, and it's not mentioned by the author, but it's. Quite, quite clearly understood that it's not allowed for cooking, drinking, etc. Now, whether it can be filtered and used again for uh, irrigation and other things, that's a, a modern issue, which um, the Majma' al-Fiqh al-Islami, had, I think, oh, it's in the 80s, had a whole, whole volume of, of research uh, dedicated to. He then says, he then says, water of large amounts is the volume of two qulla or more of water. Two qulla are 71 and three-sevenths of a nabulsi ratul. Now these are these weights and measurements which are for most of us quite archaic. And if you'd like, I wrote an article, an entry for the, Islam, the, for the Oxford Encyclopedia of Islam and Law titled Weights and Measures. You can access it on the Oxford University Press site and their encyclopedia. You can also access it on my academia.edu page. Um, And I go over all of these different weights and measures that are mentioned there, converting them into uh, both um, uh, the metric system and our, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, I forgot, do we call it the royal or the crown system? I can't even remember. Um, Anyway, the ratl, is equal to 12 uqiyah, 
One uqiya equals 40 dirham. Two qulla is then roughly 191.25 liters or around 50 gallons. So if you have a 50-gallon drum or more and something nejis falls into it, as long as the color, taste, and smell have not changed, then it is allowed. So you're at your public pool and some little kid pees in the pool, then the water is still pure. You're at the, 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 the local pond and someone, some little kid pees in the pond, the water is still pure until the color, taste, or smell of that body of water changes. But if it is less than 50 gallons, then if it is less than 191.25 liters, then, uh, then regardless of whether its smell, color, or taste has changed, as long as you know for certain that Najasa has fallen into it, then it is not allowed to use. And why, why, why go into all of this? Like I said before, this is, this is something like the ulama would, they would say, like, Babuhu, you know, Baytuhu min qasab wa Babuhu min hadid. Right? A lot of times they use this example for Nahu. And they say the Arabic grammar, it's doors made of steel, but it's, you know, it's inside is, is made of, of sugar. Right? Um, but in, in fiqh is a lot like that, especially this issue that comes up so early, like the second issue in the book of fiqh. You're like wrapping my head around these categories. But this is the point of fiqh. This is the, point. the point of fiqh is not to give you some kind of dogmatic list you know, checklist Islam, check, 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 and I'm done. No, the point of fiqh is that you understand what Allah and His Messenger want from you in a given instance and how to operationalize and pragmatize and make practical that information throughout your life. And therefore, when we go over these issues, we go over these issues so, and we go over them even if they seem far-fetched at times because we want to explore all of the possibilities and develop what they call al-malak al-fiqhiyya. We, uh, we want to get the fiqh mindset, the analytical mindset of the fiqh, of the jurist, and understand how then do we actually use our minds to ponder, to understand, to contemplate. And then apply the information that we've given that we've been given. I've heard someone say quite uh, succinctly and beautifully that the difference between traditionalism and neo-traditionalism is traditionalism is using the tradition to apply it to your current context, whereas neo-traditionalism is the resurrection of tradition of another age to act as a veneer for the problems of yours. So with that, uh, we're going to conclude because I think, I don't know how many minutes in now we are, but we're about 23 minutes in. And uh, this is the last issue on the section on water. Um, and a lot more can be said. Inshallah ta'ala probably start teaching this book in depth um, to some of you. Probably have a limited class online. And if you're interested in that, then comment on SoundCloud or on Facebook or on Twitter, wherever you see that, and let me know. And one of you brothers out there in France, I already know that you've been asking me for like the last two years, and I promised you that I will, and we will, inshallah, start that, uh, that class. Uh, but, uh, but alhamdulillah, we will um, stop now, and, um, and I will, inshallah, ta'ala, see you next Fridays for more Fiqh Fridays. And I want to thank all of you out there that are listening, all of you out there that help to support JoeBradford.net, you anonymous um, supporters and, do- and, and, and donors and all of you out there that help 
with the like and creation of mywalsia.com, which is the Islamic estate planning online tool, um, M-Y-W-A-S-S-I-Y-A-H.com. Thank you all for your support. Um, Thank you for your listening, and I hope that you'll check in with me this coming Wednesday for, I'm sorry, this coming Sunday for the next episode of Quran Sundays, and then after that on Words and Wisdom Wednesdays. My name is Joe Bradford. Talk to you later. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa sallam.